Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, uh, my name is Tyler David. I'm our downtown AM campus pastor and um, one of the preaching pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. So glad that you're here. Today we are finishing up our Pursuit of Wisdom series. The Pursuit of Wisdom series. Over the last three weeks, we've been looking at this category of wisdom. Looking at this category of wisdom, because what we see in life is that there are many situations, and most of the situations in your life, being moral is not enough. Being moral is not enough, that what we need is wisdom. What we need is wisdom, and so we need to know that there is a way that God made the world to work best, a way that he made us to work best. So the past three weeks, what we've looked at is the ways God has made the world to work best. We, taught, we looked at the first week of wisdom in a person, that wisdom is fundamentally found in Jesus Christ. And the second week, we looked at wisdom in decision-making, and then last week, wisdom in sexuality. So this week, to kind of the capstone of our series, as we end this week and start our, pre- our summer preaching series next week, is wisdom and friendship. Wisdom and friendship. See, all throughout the Proverbs, there runs this theme that wise people have strong friendships. That wise people have strong friendships. It's something that Proverbs talks about a lot, that wisdom isn't just found in this isolated pursuit of knowing things about yourself and reading books and being really insightful, but wisdom actually pushes you to create and sustain and fight for friendships. That these friends are the ones who challenge us and laugh with us and mourn with us and make us better. Friends are essential to becoming a wise person. And friendship is a very unique and rare relationship often. Listen to what Proverbs says about it. It celebrates friendship. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 8, 20, 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. These are the kinds of friends all of us want. All of us want these friendships of people who are faithful to us that stick closer than even a brother. I know for me, I've had these kinds of friends. Maybe you do too. But I remember when I was writing this sermon, I was thinking about when is a time in my life where I've had friends like that who stick closer than a brother? And I thought about my sophomore year of college and my fall semester. I was going through a pretty intense depression my fall semester. And for me, it wasn't like a, a chemical thing in my brain. It was because I was in all sorts of sin that I just couldn't get out of. I kept going to the same sin, the same sin, the same sin over and over and over again. And so what it brought was guilt and shame and remorse that paralyzed me. So I'm in this season where I'm not fun to be around. I keep messing up, and I had two friends in particular who were faithful to me. Two friends in particular who stood by my side the entire time. They would try to keep me accountable and pray for me and help me out, and I would keep failing, and they would stay faithful to me. I wasn't fun to hang out with, but they kept inviting me places. I would just stand there and cry in the corner. That's what I was doing. And throughout this whole process, they were faithful to me. They were the kind of friends that all of us desire. They saw me through. All of us desire this kind of friendship, but unfortunately, unfortunately for us, we don't tend to be that kind of friend to other people. Unfortunately for us, we tend to want these friends, but not want to be this friend to somebody else. 
I've, I've heard tons of people say, I want to have friends like that. I want to have people who are faithful to me like that. I've rarely heard people say, I should be a better friend to them. I should be a friend like that to somebody else. And the reason we talk like this, the reason we think like this is because we're naturally individualistic. And individualistic, what I mean is not that you hang out by yourself all the time. That's not what I mean. No, individualism is something that we breed, something that we feel in our culture. And here's what it says. Other people are optional. Other people are optional to your own personal flourishing. That they are a secondary purpose. That if you get good friends and you have people in your life that you're faithful to, that's great, but it's not essential. The way we live is like, no, what's essential is making sure that I'm taken care of. What's essential is that people are treating me that way. And that's why we let friendships die off really easily. That's why we feel no obligation to meet new people all the time. Because in our minds, as long as they take care of me, as long as I feel okay, I don't need other people. We're individualistic. And so what happens, that ruins our friendships. It ruins our friendships. But God made our lives to work best. God's wisdom is that your life will work best if you have friends in it. This is why as a culture we are incredibly lonely. Incredibly lonely. Because in our minds we bought the lie that if I take care of me, everything will be okay, and yet we're incredibly lonely because we were made to have these friendships. We're made to have these friends in our lives and to be friends to somebody else because God wove it into us. That's why that feeling of loneliness, almost like no other feeling, makes you despair. Makes you feel hopeless because it's woven into you to desire to be that kind of friend to somebody else. And so what today we're gonna talk about is the Proverbs is gonna show us how do we become that kind of friend? How do we become a wise person who's that kind of friend to someone else? So we're, we're gonna look at three things. The uniqueness of friendship, the practice of friendship, and the power for friendship. Uniqueness, practice, and power. So let's look at the uniqueness of friendship first. There are all sorts of relationships in your life in your lives, but friendship is the unique amongst all of them. Almost every relationship in your life is forced on you in some form or some fashion. Your family, your work relationships, even government officials, for the most part, you don't have choice in those things. But friendship is different. Friendship is unique because it is the, one of the few relationships where it's under no obligation to exist. It's under your own initiatives. It's even distinct from families. what it says in Proverbs 17, 17. We just read it earlier. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So friendships are unique to family. So family, like I said, no choice. Some of us wish we had a choice, but you don't. My sister, when she was born into our family, I was her brother. She had no option. Rest of her life, I am her big brother. That's how it's going to work. That's how family works. Friendships, you don't, they're not forced, but you discover them. You discover them. You initiate. It's going to happen if you initiate it. But it doesn't just happen naturally. And what this, this proverb is saying is that families, families tend to rally around one another in times of trouble. It says a brother is born for adversity. The way family tends to work is that when times of when tough seasons come into your life, that's when family tends to rally. So your family members may not be in your life all the time, but if you lose a job, someone dies, there's sickness, there's sorrow, there's loss, it says a brother is born for adversity. But then it says a friend loves at all times because friends have this nature of the relationship is that they're constant. 
They're in your life all the time. They chose to be your friend. You chose to be their friend. They're around all the time. They're unique compared to your family. They're consistent while family seems to be seasonal. But also, friendship is distinct from romantic relationships. See, a romantic relationship is primarily about intimacy. It's primarily about the relationship itself, while friendship is about a common cause in front of you, a common passion, a common interest. This is what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends are side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest. See, the goal of romantic relationships is intimacy. And so what that means, it causes these relationships, romantic relationships, to be more formal. Romantic relationships are more formal. See, in a healthy, I'll say a healthy romantic relationship, there are very clear boundaries and expectations of what's going on. Very clear boundaries and expectations of what is actually happening. So if you are in a romantic relationship, when you go out to dinner, something you do all the time, you call it a date. It's formal. It's something distinct. That in a romantic relationship, you have conversations where you say, okay, we're going to be exclusive to one another. When you want a romantic relationship and you get married, you have a ceremony, a very formal, distinct ceremony that says, we are for one another and no one else. Why? Because the goal of a romantic relationship is intimacy. And for intimacy to work, you need boundaries and things that say, you can trust me. Because if intimacy is the goal, you need to be protected that I'm not going to share my information with somebody who's just going to hurt me later on. It helps you say they're in this with me together. So that's how a romantic relationship works. It's very, very formal. And so for me, when I was dating my wife, Lauren, this is why... After a while, we've been dating, I wanted to be exclusive. So I took her to Mount Bunnell. We had a conversation where I told her, I want to be exclusively dating you. And I can't date you anymore if you don't want to be exclusive with me. Why was I doing that? Because if we're going to be intimate with one another, if we're going to share information about each other we wouldn't share with anyone else, we need clear boundaries and expectations of what is going on. The same is true in my marriage today. Lauren and I have conversations about how is our marriage doing where can we grow in our relationship? We tell each other constantly of how we love one another. We're for one another. Why do we do that? Because I want her to know it's a safe place for you to share yourself with me. I have affection for you. I have allegiance towards you. This is safe. That's, how, that's what intimacy needs. But friendship is different. Friendship is different. The goal is not intimacy. The goal is not intimacy. The goal is a shared passion in front of you. See, intimacy will happen in friendship, but it's not the main focus. You're shoulder to shoulder with some common interest in front of you, some common passion in front of you. And so what happens is that friendship is much more informal. So if you go out to dinner with a friend, you don't call it a date. It gets confusing. You don't have a defining the relationship conversation with a friend. That would be confusing. One of my best friends is... a an executive pastor here at the Austin Stone, Todd Ingstrom. And we could not be more different as people. In a lot of ways, we see the world fundamentally differently. He's much more of an engineer. I'm much more of a creative in how we see the world. And just a couple weeks ago, um, I was talking to, we were at his house, and his wife told me, it's so weird that y'all are such good friends. Because we couldn't be more different, but our friendship developed because we were shoulder to shoulder with the same passion for Jesus, but also a similar ambition for our church. We had this passion for the Austin Stone to be this church on mission in this city. And as we did this together, we became friends. 
As we did this together, we got to know one another along the way. Now, can I tell you, me and Todd never had a relationship-defining conversation. I was never like, hey, man, you, I'm going to take you out to eat real quick and just, uh, we're friends, right? Really? Like, we, we didn't have that conversation. That would have been very uncomfortable. Well, listen, not because of some, like, bravado thing. Not because dudes can't share their emotions or feelings. Not that reason. It would have been weird because friendship is informal. The goal is an intimacy, so you don't need these clear, hey, we're exclusive. You don't need that. Friendship is distinct from romantic relationships. And the fact that they're informal, listen, does not mean they're easy. The fact that they're informal doesn't mean you'll just naturally figure these things out. No, friendship still takes work and intentionality and time. And you'll have to do this no matter your personality types. Let me address a couple different people in this room. Introverts in here. You quietly nod your head, you don't want me to look at you. Introverts in here. Do not buy the lie that your personality type makes it impossible or unnecessary for you to be a friend like this. Don't buy the lie that your personality type excludes you from needing to be a friend like this. Now, if you're an introvert, you're probably not going to have tons of these kind of close friends, but you need to have somebody who kind of knows all your cards, someone that is in your life that you're pursuing something together. Because if you, the more you isolate yourself, the more you isolate yourself from other people, you have a less of a chance of being a wise person. The more you isolate yourself from other people, the less chance you have of actually becoming wise and flourishing as much as you possibly could. Extroverts in here, everyone say, woo, extroverts. Yeah, you love it. Um, Extroverts, don't buy the lie that because you have a gregarious personality or like talking to people that friendships will be easy for you. See, extroverts tend to think, well, I had a lot of conversations, I know a lot of people, I have a lot of friends. Wrong, you have a lot of acquaintances. See, extroverts tend to have all these relationships that are a mile wide and an inch deep. And so extroverts, for you to have these kind of friends, you're going to have to narrow your focus and commit to other people, stand shoulder to shoulder with them, pursue something together, and make it a priority. Because the more people you know, but no one really knows you, and you don't really know anybody else for who they actually are, the less chance you have of being a wise person and flourishing personally. And lastly, for the married people in this room, you may be thinking, well, my spouse is my friend. That's the friend that I need. True, your spouse should be your best friend. Don't hear me say that romance and friendship are at odds with one another. They're not. Your spouse should be your best friend, but I've been talking about same-gender friendships. Everyone needs them, even spouses. So married couples, don't isolate yourselves and say, no, no, we have each other, we have our kids, that's all we need. That's not true. It's not true. You need to allot one another time and budget and freedom to pursue those relationships. Now, it looks different the older you get, especially with kids, it looks different. But you need those third parties in your life. I can't tell you the number of times me and Lauren have had arguments or conversations, and I've said something to her that I know is true, but she will not receive it. And then she goes and talks to a girlfriend who says the exact same thing I already said. She's like, you'll never guess what so-and-so said. I'm like, I've been telling you that for a year. Third-party relationships help. They help. They serve your marriage if you can have them. So this is where friendship starts. It's unique. It's distinct. And no matter the season of life, you need to pursue them. You need to be this kind of friend. 
So that's, that's the uniqueness. Let's look at the practice of friendship. The practice of friendship. See, friendships are going to look different all across the board. They're going to look different for everybody. But what you see in life and what you see from the Proverbs is that there are some principles, some truths that are at the, the root of healthy friendships. There's some things that characterize and define healthy friendships. And the, he's, these are the three kind of irreducible minimums of friendship. Proximity, transparency, and graciousness. Proximity, transparency, and graciousness. So let's look at proximity. Friendships have proximity with one another. So we've learned, we've, hopefully you remember this. Friendships share some common interest. There's some common ground the friendship is built upon. You're facing a particular direction together. Now, this could be life stage. This could be hobby. This could be missional community of making disciples of somewhere in the city of Austin. This could be living in the same neighborhood or apartment complex. But here's what you have to know. If the proximity changes, then the friendship's going to change. If the commonality that held you guys together, if that changes, the friendship is going to change. Major transitions in your life will always affect your friendships. Please hear that very clearly. This has been really helpful for me through transition. Major transition is always going to change your friendships. See, if you become a part of a, a different missional community, or you graduate college, or you get a new stressful job, or you have kids, or you get married, or you move cities, and on and on I could go, if that happens, you're not going to be able to maintain all the friendships you had before the transition. It's not going to be able to happen, because here's the thing, they're going to look different, and it's not, because, it's not because they somehow like you less or you like them less. It's not because all of a sudden you don't like each other anymore. No, it's that your proximity has changed and your lives overlap less. And when your lives overlap less, the friendships tend to dissipate. That's how it works. So what this means for us in this room is that when you go through a major transition in your life, you need to be prepared to make new friends. You need to be prepared to make new friends. Now, there will be people who survive the transitions. I call them legacy friendships. These friendships that kind of survive the transitions in your life and you always remain close to one another. Those will happen, but they're rare. They're rare. And so when you enter a new season, you're gonna have to meet new people, make new friends, and here's what happens to all of us. We don't want to anymore. We don't want to. See, a lot of us are trying to live off old friendships. These friendships that used to be really close and used to be really impactful, but you moved or they moved or they got a different job or they had kids or they got married and things have shifted and you find yourself getting frustrated with that person because they're not in your life as much as they used to. And you're beginning to assume all sorts of, well, they don't like me anymore, or they're being a jerk to me or whatever it is, when really the truth is a transition happened and you really don't want to go make new friends. You've already done that because there's, when we see a transition kind of take away a friendship that we've worked so hard on, it makes all of us say, I don't want to try again. I don't want to try again. And trust me, I get it. I get it. Just this last Friday night, two, uh, two nights ago, we had dinner with our new missional community. Pretty excited about start. We're starting it this fall. And this will be Lauren and I's, my wife and I's, fifth missional community since 2009. It's our fifth missional community since 2009. We've had five different sets of really close friends over the last five years. 
Now, I tell you that not to set an expectation that you should see that much transition in your missional community here at the Stone. I'm not saying that. My function as pastor and, and, and my role at this campus means I need to transition more often than most people. But I tell you that because I know what it's like to sit in a room and think, I don't want to get to know people all over again. I just said about that person, and they handle conflict differently than me, and I don't want to deal with that. They're kind of weird. I don't want to do this. I know what it's like to look at those sea of faces and think, I just want to go back to people who know what I'm like. I don't want to have to re-explain myself. I say, hey, I really was just kidding. I, I didn't mean, I'm not being passive-aggressive. Are those kind of conversations you have in new friendships? We want those fr- friendships that we can just be comfortable in, and I get that. But when transition happens, those friendships aren't going to be the same power in your life that they used to be. Can I just tell you, every time that I've started a new missional community, every time the friendships have been slow. You, you, you can't microwave the process. All of us want that like lightning strike. We go, we see each other and go, best friends for life. That's not how it happens. And if you think that, they may not feel the same way. You're like, nope, not best friends for life. Can I tell you, every time it's been worth it. Every time it's been worth it. It's been slow. It's taken time. It's taken intentionality. But on the back side of it, it's always been worth it. And can I tell you, the people in your life now who maybe transition has taken your friendship apart, but the people who you would say they've been your best friends in your life, none of them started that way. So many friendships start with, I hated them, thought they were annoying, now I really like them. That's how it usually works. There are a lot of you in this place where you're in a new missional community, you're in a new set of relationships, and you're kind of thinking, I think I'm going to pull out of this thing because it's just not working. I think I'm going to kind of emotionally kind of detract from this group because no one here is really like me. Can I tell you, if you do that in that community, you're going to do it in every community. You need to stay faithful and press into that because here's a good thing about the church is that there is a, the Holy Spirit is working to produce unity and love in us. So you're not doing it on your own. And so proximity is really important when you change you have any big changes in your life, you're going to need to find new community. Secondly is transparency. So proximity, then transparency. So as you walk in life together, shoulder to shoulder, you're going to need to be honest about what's going on inside of you as you walk together. See, what I, when I read the Proverbs about, when it talks about friendship, it's incredible to me how often what defines friendship in the book of Proverbs is honesty and Transparency. That, that these friends, they guard each other. They speak truth to one another. They get each other's back, so to speak. Let me read to you four verses from Proverbs about friendship. You can see this for yourself. Proverbs 27, five through six. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs says it's better to be rebuked by somebody challenged by somebody than have someone tell you how much they love you but never speak into your life. That friends sometimes will wound one another for their good, for their good. Proverbs 27, nine, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. One of the best things about friendship is having someone who's sincere that you don't have to question, Kate, okay, they mean what they say? Like, are they just trying to 
what angle are they using right now? I know for me, that's one of my favorite things about having close friends is someone that I don't have to worry if they're trying to play me. I don't have to worry about it. It's not even an issue. There's sweetness that comes from earnest counsel, sincere counsel of friends. 27.17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That it's through friendship that we become better. A lot of us have been stagnant in our growth as a person because we're not letting anyone speak into our life, nor are we doing it for other people. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Some of us speak words to our friends that aren't true. We tell them they're better at something than they actually are. We tell them they're godlier than they actually are. We tell them something, and all we're doing is getting them ready to fall into a trap because they think they're better than they actually are. And so what you see in all of these texts is a candidness and an honesty that often doesn't exist in our friendships. Like what you see in this text is that people are saying things to one another that no one else wants to say. Can I tell you, there's been a number of times in our church where I've heard different people, this has happened in my missional community, different people all comment on some dysfunction or inadequacy in another person. They've all said it. They've all recognized it. They've all said how, man, we really hope they figure this out. And I've asked them, has any one of you actually told them that? No. We thought we'd just pray for them. Can I tell you, every time I've sat someone down in love and said, hey, can I just tell you what people's perception is? I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just telling you what people have said. They could be wrong, but I want you to know how you're communicating. Almost every time, they're so thankful because they know everyone sees it, but a friend will actually speak about it. A friend will actually speak about it. See, the only way for any of this stuff to happen, the only way to have this ironing, sharpening, iron kind of thing is if you push past the surface. See, you you, you can't have all these things Proverbs is talking about if you never reveal anything about what's going on. I've been saying this statement for years, and the more I say it, the more I pass it, the more I think it's true. You cannot be deeply encouraged until you're deeply known. You cannot be deeply encouraged and spoken value to and, and have healing happen in you until you're deeply known. Your friends can't speak into things in your heart they don't know about. So often we want people to help me speak into my life, and I want to ask you, have you been vulnerable first? All of us want to have this encouragement, but none of us want to be vulnerable and be as open and transparent as it takes to have a friend be able to speak that into your life. You will be as encouraged as much as you're known. So as you walk together shoulder to shoulder with somebody, you need to be honest about what's going on inside of you and what you see in them. That's what friendship is about. It's about transparency. And lastly, it's about graciousness. It's about graciousness. Every friend you will ever have in this life is a sinner. I know it's a shocker. But every friend you'll ever have in this life is a sinner. They are going to do things that are hurtful, that are thoughtless, self-centered and selfish towards you, and you're going to do them. We are sinners. It's, in, it's still in us to want to do things for our own gain. And sometimes it's conscious and sometimes it's not. 
Sometimes we're aware we're doing it. Sometimes we have no idea. And in friendship, you'll have to have a disposition of graciousness towards one another. You can't have in your mind, if they were a good friend, they wouldn't let me down. If they were a good friend, they wouldn't screen my calls. If they were a good friend, they'd show up on time. That's not true because you yourself have done all of those things and you want to say, no, no, I want to, I promise, I really am your friend. I just made a mistake. I just messed up. And what Proverbs says, there's a lot of wisdom in overlooking an offense. It's a lot of wisdom in overlooking particular issues. Look at Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Sometimes being a good friend means letting them off the hook. Sometimes... You in trouble? Um, <laughs> sometimes being a good friend means letting people off the hook. It means not always assuming malicious intent. They could just be thoughtless. Most of the time, they weren't thinking about you at all. That's how it works. But even if they did have malicious intent, still forgiving them. Even if they did say that thing to hurt you, Still being gracious to them. Why? Because you've done the same thing. All of us have seen someone calling on our phone and going, I do not want to talk to them. Put it in your pocket. All of us have seen somebody who we could say hi to and they're a good friend of ours, but they annoy you or something and they had a bad day and you kind of look down and act like you didn't see them. We've all done this. And what, can I tell you what's refreshing in my life? When I make a mistake, when I sin, when I mess up, and I come to my friend and say, hey, my bad about that. It's so refreshing to have a friend who says, yeah, you're good. Not a friend who's like, I mean, it's cool if you want to be not a good friend to me. I mean, I'm going to be upset for like six weeks, easy. Like that. That will ruin friendships. It really will. If you feel the desire and the obligation to nitpick every time someone messes up, it's going to hurt your friendship. It's going to hurt it over time. But here's the other thing. Now, I, I don't want you to think, okay, so it's totally cool to walk all over each other. In the name of grace, do whatever we want. Hey, you, you got to forgive me, Jesus does. Like, that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what I'm saying. But you need to have some sort of grid to think through. When is an appropriate time to not overlook an offense? Like, how, how do you determine if this is something I should call out or something I should just let slide? And I want to give you a grid that's been helpful for me. The, the question is pattern versus instance. So when, you, when someone's offended you, the first thing you ask is, is this clearly sin? So if, if it's clearly sin, then just you call them out on it. There, there's no like, should I, should I not? If it's clearly sin, if they see them in sexual sin, if you see them just absolutely drunk, you see them hit their wife, you see them do something crazy that's clearly sin, well, then the Bible says to go to your brother and show him his fault. It's clear. But if you're not sure, if you would need to know their intentions as to why they did a particular thing, if you don't know for sure, then here's the thing I would tell you. Is this a pattern or is it an instance? Is this a pattern? Have you seen this attitude, this behavior, this demeanor flesh itself out in various circumstances over time? If it's a pattern, then I think you need to bring it up. They consistently treat you poorly. They consistently act like they're uninterested. They consistently say hurtful things to you. Then you need to bring that up. But if it's just an instance, if they had a bad day, if, if they lashed out on you but you know their kids were up all night 
throwing up, and that's why they're tired for a little bit on edge, I think you overlooked that offense. If it's an instant, if, it, if it's an instance, then you want to give them some grace. You want to overlook particular offenses. See, good friends clearly call out patterns, and good friends also overlook instances. So every friendship has proximity, transparency, and graciousness. But the question you have to ask right now, as I'm sure all of us are thinking this, the question is not, do I have these kinds of friends? The question you need to ask is, am I being this kind of friend? This is not an opportunity to go go to lunch with people and go, all right, I've been looking at all of your records. You're the worst friend I have. Like, that's not what this is about, Okay. This is for you to say, am I being this kind of friend to the people in my life? Because before you can complain, before you can moan about how people aren't doing this for you, ask yourself, am I doing this for them? The way Jesus would say is, before you judge your brother, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to help your brother or your sister with theirs. You'll be able to see things more clearly once you diagnose and assess yourself. But even after all this, even after you look at what friendship is, it can still feel pretty impossible if you think about it. It can still feel pretty impossible, like I could never be this kind of friend, I don't have these kind of friends. And it's even more difficult because if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, God has remade you. He's giving you new longings, new desires. He's giving you a Holy Spirit, and this Holy Spirit inside of you, he's longing for the day when Jesus comes back and all things are made new, even friendship. Where, where we get to be with the people of God forever, dwelling with the presence of God in the joy of God forever. So the Spirit of God inside of you longs for that heaven, longs for that day where, where death can't tear friendships apart, where friendship isn't stained by selfishness, where distance doesn't cause strain. We're all longing for that day, and yet that day is not here. You have this longing for heaven inside of you that makes you want this perfect community But you have to remember, we're not there yet. We're still in this this limbo waiting for Jesus to return when friendship is still stained by selfishness and death and sickness tears it apart and distance drives wedges through friendship. I mean, we're still in this place. So how could you possibly have the power for these kinds of friendships? You have this power by knowing the friendship of Jesus. The friendship of Jesus. There are so many different dimensions to our relationship with Jesus. So many different aspects. There's the fact that he's our creator, that God made everything through him from nothing. He's our sustainer, that he is holding together by the word of his power every single atom and molecule in the universe. He's our savior who took on the wrath of God for our sin. He's our king who reigns over everything and moves everything for our good. He's our leader. He's our teacher. He's our mentor. He's our shepherd. He's our mediator. He's our life. He's our glory. And on and on I could go. But one thing Jesus wants to make clear to us today, one thing he wanted his disciples to know is that he's also our friend. This lofty, exalted Jesus says, I want you to know I see you as friends. I see you as friends. John 15, John 15, it says, this is Jesus speaking. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus wants his disciples to know. Can I remind you for a second? Yes, I'm doing this because I want to honor the Father above all things. Yes, I'm doing this because you have sinned. But I'm also doing this because I'm laying down my life for my friends. He wants us to interact with him in that kind of capacity. Because the friends in your life, we're all hoping they would be that perfect friend who never fails us, never lets us down, is always there. Jesus is that friend that we're hoping someone would be, but they just can't. See, Jesus has proximity to you that never changes. He promised, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So remember, every major transition in your life, Everyone, from the great ones to the sorrowful ones, from new opportunities to losing someone you love, to cancer, to sickness, every transition Jesus is bringing into your life so you can know him more, not less. So many of us walk into new transitions and it feels like Jesus brought us here because he's forsaken us. That's not true. He has proximity as your friend that says, no, I'm gonna be with you by my spirit wherever you go, no matter what happens. Jesus is transparent with us. In his word, he opens up his heart and says, look at what I love. One of my favorite stories that shows this is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is weeping and crying and sweating blood and he invited James and John and Peter to be with him. He didn't hide the messiness. So many of us here want to hide the messiness, but Jesus says, no, look, here's what I feel. Here's what's going on. Jesus in his word even commands us to be transparent with him. He says, cast all of your anxieties on me. He wants transparency because the, until the real you meets the real God, you'll never have real change in your life. And then he's gracious towards you. I want you to consider Jesus does not call you out on every sin that he could. This blows my mind when I think about it because if he wanted to call me out on everything that he could, I'd be sad all day. You would have this overwhelming sense of conviction every moment of every day for the rest of your life if he called you out on every sin that he could. But he's gracious and he's kind and he even forgives he even forgives when we have malicious intent. Even when we don't want anything to do with him, and our heart is not saying, oh, I didn't know I shouldn't do that. Our heart said, I wanted to rebel against you. Jesus says, I forgive that. Even when we try to manipulate him, stiff on him, screen him from our lives, he still forgives us. And as you know that friendship, as you interact with this friend, that empowers all of your other friendships. It empowers you to forgive. It empowers you to be transparent. Why? Because Jesus is modeling it for us and doing it to us. But here's the thing. I wonder if you're surpassing Jesus' friendship to get to horizontal relationships. If you're going, yeah, 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 I know I need Jesus. I already have him. I really need to be a better friend and have friends in my life. If you sidestep this interacting with Jesus, you're gonna miss out on everything. Because no friendship can handle the weight of being the person who's the only faithful one to you. 
See, all of wisdom, even in friendship, always starts with Jesus. You go to him and you work out from there to understand what to do. And so can I encourage some of you in here, who are the people you need to be this kind of friend to? Who are the people that God's bringing to mind? Like, you know what, I need to call them and apologize. I need to be more transparent with this person. Who, who is it? Can I tell you, don't let people in the church who fail you make you run away from Jesus. Do you know how many times, you know how many times people say, I can't trust your Jesus. I've been burned by someone in the church. That happens. That happens. People are going to fail you, but don't have the crazy idea that somehow if a friend who's a sinner fails you, that you would neglect the one true friend who can't. Let's be a people who go to this friend first and have that empower our love for one another so this city could see this Jesus must be alive. He must be king and his gospel must be true. Let's pray together. Father, the fact that you would take you would send your son to take on flesh. God, that's crazy in itself, but God, that you would send him and he would call us friends. That even this moment, Jesus, you are reigning over everything. And you look at your people and you see your friends who you laid your life down for. God, would you let us experience that love, his nearness, God, that that would prompt us to be the friends you're calling us to be. I want to pray for those people in here who know they need to go apologize to somebody, who know they need to repair a relationship that they have done most of the tearing down of. God, I want to ask for strength for those in here who find themselves lonely, who don't want to reach out, who don't want to start all over again. God, would you give them strength to take the next step of saying, I need to be this kind of friend to someone else. But God, would I be motivated by seeing Jesus, your friendship to them? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you care about things even like friendship. You care about every detail of our lives. And God, you teach us and instruct us and lead us towards life. God, we ask that you would do this and much more for the fame of Jesus Christ in this city. Amen. Church, let's stand together and sing praises to our God.